Seeking for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayer for attention to our first reading, James chapter 4, and reading for our text, verse 4. James chapter 4 and verse 4. Ye adulteresses, adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. James 4 and verse 4. It is a Christian's relationship with God, either friend or enemy. We gather this morning remembering the wars that this nation has had with other nations, times that they were our enemies and they threatened us here. We were fighting against them and the Lord wonderfully delivered us, he saved us and has given us the nation that we have and the peace that we have, freedoms that we have at this time. And we remember those that laid down their lives so that we might have these freedoms that we have today. But our chapter where we have our text, it speaks of another conflict. And it is a conflict within the church. He, James says, from whence come wars and fightings among you, civil war, as it were, and fightings even amongst the people of God, the church of God. And he traces the roots of this conflict and these divisions that were within the church to their relationship with the world and hence their relationship to God himself. Our text uses the illustration of adulterers and adulteresses, not speaking literally of those that walk in that way, but of a people who were joined to Christ, of whom he was their bridegroom, and they are the body of Christ, they are his bride, and yet they have gone away to that which is against Christ, joining with one that is not Christ, and committing, as the Old Testament saints were uh, accused of, and God said that they committed adultery with the stones and stocks, with the idols, those other gods that they made, the Baal gods and other gods. And he uses again that, that same illustration. The Jews would have been very familiar with that throughout uh, the, the writings of the prophets. Now that the ancient nation so often went away from the Lord and joined themselves to idols. Well here he's not speaking directly of idols but he's speaking of the world and the friendship of the world. And saying very clearly, whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. In the conflicts of the Second World War, when we were at war uh, with, with Germany, 
if someone from this land uh, started up and they were friends with the enemy, then we would say, well, if you are a friend with the enemy, uh, then you are an enemy of us. And we, we read about that happening even in Ukraine at this time. Now, those Ukrainians that were friends with Russia, they were found out that they were actually really spies or fighting on behalf of the enemy. And so what James says here, that this is the situation with the church and with the people of God, those whom he has redeemed and saved, that if they are friends with the world, and we explain what that means in a moment, then the implication of that is that they are an enemy of God. Our Lord is very clear in Matthew 6, he cannot serve God and mammon. And here, the inspired word of God is very clear as well, that whosoever therefore is, will be a friend of the world, is the enemy of God. Want to look with the Lord's help three points. Firstly, the world spoken of in our text. And then secondly, what friendship with the world is and its implication for us. And then lastly, how we are to act and walk consistent with not being a friend of the world but of God, and that follows in the remainder of this chapter. The word of God doesn't leave us in any doubt of the actions, the course that we are to walk to avoid being a friend of the world. <coughs> now firstly, what is spoken of here, the world in our text. Do not we read in John 3 that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but should have eternal life? How can it be that God loves the world that here he says that we are not to love the world? Then we compare that with our Lord's Prayer in John 17. He speaks of his people. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them whom thou hast given me out of the world. And then he says of himself and his people, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And so we start to have a picture of a world a world that lieth in sin and wickedness, a world in which God's people are, every one of them, are born into this world and they're born in as sinners and born in as those of the world, have fallen and lost. But we have the Lord coming and that he might save them and deliver them so that they be in the world but not of the world, that they be redeemed out of the world and saved out of this world. When our Lord came to this earth, the angels 
bore the witness from heaven of the good tidings, the glad tidings of salvation. And he was said there, not peace on earth. There will not be peace on earth, but on earth peace. On this earth, God's people shall have peace. And the Lord made it very clear where that was. He said, in me ye shall have peace, in the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And we get a picture of the world, the world that is under Satan's dominion, the world that is where people that are dead in trespasses and sins and in enmity against God. It is a world that we read in the epistle to John and what is in the world. And we're exhorted there, <coughs> love not the world, as in verse 15 of chapter 2, 1 John 2 and 15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's the same message of our text, this time brought by John or by James. And the reason is for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And that verse there has a direct uh, correlation to the temptation that Satan tempted Eve with. And Eve was not to eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that in the midst of the garden. <coughs> and yet Satan, he said, and serpent, you shall not surely die upon eating that, directly contradicting God. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as God's knowing good and evil. Let me read this in Genesis 3, verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, there's the lust of the flesh, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the lust of the eyes, there's the lust of the eyes that John speaks of, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. And John says, and the pride of life. That answers to that. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to her, unto her husband with her and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened. They knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. A fall of man was through the enticement to the very things that are symbolizing the world today. And Satan still says, and this time it is not to those that are unfallen and innocent and pure, but capable of falling, but now to fallen men. He sets before them the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. That is the world. It's entering into a world which Satan's first temptation, and now the world is characterized by that. 
What did the world say of our Lord? Crucify him, crucify him. Away with him. They did not want the Lord of life and glory. The Lord said, if they have done this in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? If they have kept my word, they will keep your word. Of course, we must balance this. The word of God says that as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. We're not to be of those that say, stand by thyself, we are holier than thou. We're not to walk through this world like the scribes and the Pharisees that made out they were very religious and godly men and would have men in admiration that that was the case, despised others. We're not to walk in that way. But when we view the world that is without God and without Christ, which is the description of all the people of God before the Lord begins with them, they are of the world. And John, he says, of those that are of the world, those, they have an ear for the word, for the world. They listen to the world. The world bids them and they follow and they go. In verse 17 of 1 John 2, there's the reminder of really what the world is. It is that which passeth away, and the lust thereof. All that shall pass away, all of our riches, all of what we are in this world, all passing away, mean to funerals this week, Two funerals to take place next week. And those that have died, if they have nothing more than what they had in this world, they have all men, most miserable. But if they have a hope beyond the grave, the Apostle Paul says, absent from the body and present with the Lord. There is that world that is to come. And so... We are to view the world in a, a right way. A world that is so contrary to the Lord. A world that the Lord says, I have given them that is thy people, my people, thy word. And the world hath hated them. A real test to the world is that they do not want the word of God. And what a solemn thing it is, when that is the case, if we have the people of God going to the world and saying, I want you, I want your pleasures, your maximums, your teaching, your guidance, I will take of you. But the world is saying, we don't want you. If you come and bring the word of God, we don't want you. In that way, the world is more consistent so often than the people of God. People of God trying to 
with the world, trying to make the truth acceptable to the world and trying to become like the world. But whenever the word of God is faithfully set forth, the world is very clear. We don't want that. We don't want that. So the world spoken of in our text is really a world that does not want God. A world that follows Satan that would counteract all that God says. It was the word that God gave to our first parents and it was the word that Satan said, hath God said. And it is that same word that the world today will hate the people of God for because Satan does not like the word of God. When Satan tempted our Lord Jesus Christ each time the Lord answered him with, It is written. And Satan even tried to use that same word to tempt the Lord, but took it out of context. So our Lord must say to him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. I want to look then, secondly, at what friendship with the world is and the implication for us. In our text is put in those uh, two different ways. Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. And sets forth that as a as a statement <coughs> that when we join as friends with the world and the spirit of it in its anti-God, in its walking separate or contrary to the word of God or defiance against the word, word of God. The friendship of the world is enmity with God. And then there's the implication, whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. It's very, very definite, isn't it? Very, very clear. The implication of this is not something that we can just look at and just dismiss and say, well, we're not a friend of the world. It's something that we, we need to really search our hearts and minds. What is our relationship with the world? We read in the letters to the Corinthians, the people of God, come ye out from among them, touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and ye shall be my sons and my daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. We think of the case of the typical Israel when they were formed into a nation in Egypt. And God would bring them out of Egypt so that they would worship him. And that they could not worship God in the face of the abominations of Egypt. They could not just say, well, we'll have a part, and we'll just stay in Egypt, and we'll stay in the midst of all of their idols and all of their gods, and we will just worship God here. No, there was separation, and that separation wasn't easy. Nine great signs God brought in Egypt before Egypt would let them go, before they could be set free from it. You know, when we are 
quickened into grace, quickened into divine life, the world doesn't let us go easy. It won't. You know, there'll be those things that we love doing, people that we loved, people that we walk with. Our Lord so clearly says that if any man love and the nearest relations more than me, he's not worthy of me. All the time there is a separation that grace will make. God makes a difference. And it is only the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ typified in the Passover that will ever separate a soul truly from the world. It is the redemption of the Lord Jesus Christ that they are to look at him who is lifted up above the earth. You think of the two attitudes of the two thieves on the cross. One said, if thou art the Christ, save, come down from the cross, save thyself and us. In other words, come back to the world. Have this world. The other one said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He was looking at that world to come. In Hebrews, Hebrews 11, of which we have a list of all of those that walk by faith and various acts and things that they did by faith that they're known by, but not all made arcs like Noah did or all were brought out of earth Chaldeans as what Abraham was. But there is that which is very common to them all, which is set forth from verse 13 in that chapter, <coughs> that all these died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were persuaded of them and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. That is, in this world, they were strangers and pilgrims. They were like the children of Israel going through the wilderness. This world is not their rest. It is polluted. They feel it. They feel Satan is very active in it. They have a wicked, evil heart themselves. They're in the midst of men that hate the things of God. And they speak against it. It's in a foreign land. And they feel it so. They feel that this is so. But we read this, that they had embraced these promises. They saw them afar off. And it was because they saw these promises in Christ and the hope of heaven, the hope of mercy and forgiveness in Christ, that then this world was to them vain and empty and they saw it in its true light and then we read for they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country and we read and truly if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out they might have had opportunity to have returned now they desire a better country that is a heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. 
Everyone that is called by grace, born again of the Spirit, quickened by God, they're still physically in this world. They could go back, and we've known many that have gone back. Said for a while that a Christian changed their lives, attended a place of worship, patting across the Word of God, and then and they've just given it all up. They've turned back, gone back to the world and the things of it. It's still there. It's still beckoning. It's still calling to each one of them. And James could see in this church, in the churches here, the reason for their fighting and conflicts and all that was going on within them, there were those that really in heart, they were following the world. They were going after the world. And so the implication, and it's very, very strong, he sets before them, that whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Sometimes in the word of God it's not so much as clearly setting forth who the Lord's people are, but who they are not. And that's where it is here, who they are not. The Lord's people are not those that are hand in hand with the world and all its lusts and all its fashions and all its ways and all the things that it loves. And sometimes you can look at a newspaper and the latter pages of it might be, might be a local newspaper and it's full of all the sports that are going on, all of the TV programs that can be looked at, all of the radio programs that can be heard and you can see pages and pages which you could actually stamp over at this. This is the world. This is what the world is wanting to know. If you filled those pages with the word of God, you wouldn't want people wouldn't buy that paper. They wouldn't want that paper. But when you fill it with the things that they want to know about, then they will buy it. And it directs them to all that is happening the amusements in the world. Years ago in Australia, when they tried to bring in the Sunday trading, it wasn't our representations from the churches that we might keep the Lord's Day and special that prevailed. It was the sporting community. The people at Melbourne, they did not want to lose their sports day. And so the shops, they still stayed closed because of that. Of course, we had the benefit of that as well, but the world wanted their pleasures. Men shall be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. I want to look then thirdly at how we are to act, how we are to walk consistently with not being a friend of the world, but of God. Now there are seven things that are set before us from the verse of our text right through to the end of this chapter. The first one is in verse 7. And it is submitting and resisting. Submitting yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And immediately you really have the two captains that are set forth. The captain of our salvation 
our God and then the prince of this world, the devil. And one it is submitting to, the other is resisting. The devil who goeth about a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The deceiver, the one who is the God of this world. And the very first direction given to the church of God. On one hand submit to God, on the other hand resist the devil. It's a blessed thing to be given faith and given the grace of God so that we don't just flow along with the tide of wickedness and sin of the world, but submit to God. And what does it mean in that? It means submit to God's word, to his counsel, to his direction, to his governance which is the word of God. That's why we said before, our Lord said, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them. We are to be submissive to the word of God. So that is the first thing. Submission to the word of God and resisting the devil. Something that Eve, our first parents, they did not do. They did not resist the devil. They believed him and they did not cleave to the word of God. They let that go and believed the devil instead. The second thing is to pray. Verse 8, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. It's a path of prayer the people of God are to walk. That men pray always. That we are to Continue in prayer, watching the same with thanksgiving. This is vital for the people of God. Our Lord spoke of it many, many times. And that men ought always to pray and not to faint. If this warring, fighting church and people that James is writing to were a praying people, then those prayers would have put a storm to all of that conflict as they came before God, as they humbled themselves before God in prayer. The third thing is, again in verse 8, to cleanse our hands and our hearts. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. He is a people referred to again that is trying to serve both trying to serve God and trying, trying to serve the world as well. Now, if something is pure, it's not got two things in it. My wedding ring might say it's gold, but it's not pure gold. It's an alloy to make it stronger. It's got two things mixed with it. And you get something like brass or bronze, and they're alloys, they're alloys of copper and tin or copper and zinc, two things that are joined together. They're not pure. There's not just one item in it. And so when we read here, purify your hearts. Hearts not divided, not trying to serve one and the other, to have two parts in it. 
the great blessing for the church of God. God gives them grace, he gives them faith, he gives them his word and he gives them the path that they are to walk in. In chapter 5 of Ephesians he speaks of the church of God which are sanctified and washed with the washing of water by the word and it is through the word of God that God's people are cleansed. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. And so that then is the, the third direction given. Then we have in the fourth place in verse 9 a direction to be afflicted and mourn and weep. Yet let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Now, obviously, when the Lord's people are blessed, they are to rejoice, but rejoice in the Lord always. And I say again, rejoice. The worldly laughter and worldly rejoicing. You think of when Moses had been up in the mount, he'd been given the tables of stone, the Ten Commandments, and they came down and the Lord said, Get thee down, the people, that they have made themselves idols. And they heard singing and dancing. But they weren't dancing and rejoicing in the Lord. They were dancing round the idols. And this is the, the reference here. It's for a people that are not joyful and rejoicing in the Lord, they're rejoicing in the world. They've got the world in their hearts and joy of the world in their hearts. And so the direction is the opposite way. If that is our heart, if that is our joy, then be afflicted and mourn and weep. And let your laughter be turned into mourning. There's a mark to be set on the foreheads of those that sigh and cry on account of the abominations done in the land. And that will be in the land, will be in our hearts also. Because dear people are to be a people that does reflect a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief the man that bore our sins in his own body on the tree. We are to remember his sufferings and his death. And in this world we are to reflect that. And our joy, when we have joy, is to be in the Lord. And not in the empty, vain laughter of the world. The amusements of the world are designed to blot out God from thoughts and to forget the reality of eternity and the needs of our souls. The fifth is to humble ourselves before God. Verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. The cause of the conflict in the church of God and in the world is pride. And Satan is given this title as king 
over all the children of pride. But for the people of God, their path is to be a humble path, brought under the word of God, under the Lord, in that which he sets before us in his word, that which he brings us into in our providences, knowing that the Lord is Lord of all, and who is he that saith, and it cometh to pass when the Lord commandeth it not. He is the righteous judge of all the earth, and the true path to peace in a church of God. And how many times we've heard it, when there's been a conflict in the church of God, and one of the Lord's servants said, what is needed is a little humility. And it sums it up, and that is what is set before us here. Opposite to pride, humble, not just before men, but in the sight of God, a real humility. And then we have in the sixth place, in verses 11 and 12, is not to speak evil one of another. Very often it is when we lose sight of our own sin and what we are that when we then we start judging another. Of course, this is the employee that God used through Nathan to convict David of his sin. He made him view, as it were, another person has walked in this way. And David could see his sin and condemned him. And then it was turned around, thou art the man. And we have to remember, they said before us here, every one of us shall stand before God. The church of God is, is not the judge of all the earth. They are under the Lord himself. And we must stand before that judgment seat of God. The world, of course, will accuse as they did to the disciples, as they did to the apostles, that we are judging just because we bring the word of God. And even sometimes just by walking in a different way, their own conscience will accuse them and they're not like the people of God and accuse them of judging. But our spirit must be to cleave to the word of the Lord and to know that we ourselves must stand before God. All of the conflicts in the earlier part of this chapter, they were fighting against one another, speaking against one another. And we may say they weren't faithfully setting forth the word of God or the truth. They were conflicting on many minor and all sorts of different things. Then we have a last direction and that is all our plans are to be subject to the will of God. From verse 13 to the end Go to now ye that say today or tomorrow we will go into such a city continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain this is the world. They say, this is, this is our plan. This is what we're going to do. We're like the rich man whose fields have wrought much and we're going to bring down our barns and we're going to build up greater and uh, make ourselves a nice, easy life. But for the people of God, whatever we do, whatever our plans, 
it is to be subject to the will of God. For that he ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. And so we have set before us that path that we are to walk that under God's blessing as obedient to his word we shall be delivered from the friendship of this world and as we seek his word as we seek the gospel as we seek that way of escape from the wrath to come and have a sight of the Lord Jesus Christ reading verse 6 he giveth more grace wherefore he saith God resisteth the proud but giveth grace unto the humble by grace you are saved through faith that not of yourselves it is the gift of God and may we be those that are truly in possession of the grace of God that makes this difference between us and the world they are not of the world even as I am not of the world but the Lord has chosen them and he will have them to be with him. He prays later on in John 17, Father, I will that they whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. May we never lose sight. The Lord suffered, bled and died, came to this world to offer himself a ransom, to pay the debt that we owed and to redeem us from this world, not to allow us to Live on in sin, but to be saved from it. His name shall be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. For the Lord bless this word to us, and grant that we might clearly be a friend, not of the world, but a friend of the Lord. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. May the Lord add his blessing. Amen.